Hey, I want you to say something with me this morning to begin. It's really simple. It's, what was that? But I want you to say it with, with passion and with a sense of drama. What was that? Ready on three. One, two, three. What was that? Well, it was the holidays. The holidays just came and went like a freight train. It's like a bus that you get hit by. You roll under the bus, and you come out on the other side, and it's January. It's a, it's a new year. Uh, I wanted to read this magazine the whole month of December, and I never got to it. Holiday spectacular, 50 brilliant gifts under $50, your happiest season ever, irresistible cookies, easy festive decorations that are now all put away that really at our house never got out, Uh, cocktail party style, fun family traditions, how to teach gratitude. I'm going to get to this magazine sometime before next Christmas, but it's come and it's gone, and here we are, the first Sunday of a new year. Let me talk to you about relationships. I was at 7-Eleven this morning, and there were these two women in a conversation, and this one woman was saying, I was trying to break up with him. I was trying to break up with him. I've been trying to break up with him, but I can't break up with him because he keeps crying. (laughs) Meet me at emotional baggage claim. Look at the front page of this morning's newspaper, and you see something that and you probably didn't think you might ever see the governor being sentenced on Tuesday in Richmond. Meet me, an emotional baggage claim. The Sony hacking, the Steelers losing. How did you let that happen? Bono announcing he may never play the guitar again. His band not caring. Meet me, at emotional baggage claim. Tensions at work. Stress at school, worries about the future, babies crying. We're always at emotional baggage claim. Let me tell you why it's important that we do this. Why it's important that we do a relationship series. And let me ground it decidedly and decisively in Scripture. Let's begin with Philippians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters... I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Literally, I put in rapid motion. I press on. I make a a quick, fast move toward the goal to win the prize, which is a, a sports image, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I looked at this passage, and here's my translation of it. I do not think logically about how my life adds up on the positive side of things, how I've lived my life as a good person with good motives and actions, having received the recognition of the world. I just do one thing right disregarding everything I've ever done, forgetting what happened in the past. I stretch and strain with all my might toward a future horizon, a goal of doing God's will in Christ, which Christ is constantly calling me to do. That is the only prize I strive for. This is the meaning of my life. This holy awareness drives me into each day I'm alive. 
I love the way Eugene Peterson penned it in the message. I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I have it made. But I'm well on my way, reaching out for Christ who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this. But I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. Let me fill in another part of this equation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Again, I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this. This is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. So there are two important reasons we're doing this series. First, it's important because we need to accomplish what God has for us to accomplish. To do that, we have to leave things that derail us in the past. The biblical word used here means to disregard the past. Don't even pay attention. If you disregard something, you're not even paying attention to it. And the action toward the goal, the action toward the future is swift and decisive. It's, it's like a running back when he makes that little move and, and cuts the other way and he leaves people in the dust and he heads toward the goal line. Disregard the past. Swift action toward the call of God in Christ. Second, it's important that we do a relationship series because we have to get our relational lives in order. God wants that. It's a lot easier to say than to do. Whether you watch the news Watch the drama happening around you in the office or watch what's going on in your family. You see a need for relational integrity, a need to make things right, a need to head in the right direction with love and grace and hope for the future. So we do a relationship series because the Bible has a lot to say about relationships. God made us Relational beings out of his own relational being. Get relationships right, and a lot of God's will for us gets right. We do this series because we get angry at each other sometimes. We say things we shouldn't say sometimes. We judge each other sometimes. We want paybacks sometimes. We feel guilty sometimes. We don't know why we go in relational circles sometimes. We fail to love and forgive sometimes. We misunderstand the connections between wisdom and safety sometimes. And we shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes. Baggage? Got some? Want to deal with it? Want to never go back? Let's, let's add in another verse here. 
verse 15 of Philippians chapter 3. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. So Paul in a summary statement is saying really it's about maturity. And maturity in scripture means to be fully complete, to have nothing lacking. So Paul is saying, let's shoot for maturity. Maturity is the goal line. Maturity is the end zone. Maturity is the horizon that we're moving toward. And if you want to think differently about that, go ahead. But God's going to show up at some point. And he'll make it clear to you. So don't be so wise in your own eyes. Because spiritual maturity is really where we all need to end up. This series points us toward maturity. It points us toward being complete, complete as a man, complete as a woman. And that's why it's important that we do this. This isn't separate from faith and life. It is faith and life. And let's add one more point of Scripture. Proverbs 27, 6 in the New American Standard Bible. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You don't need people who are always telling you that you're great, you're okay, you're phenomenal, you're fantastic, you're wonderful. You you need that when you're a kid and you're trying to to figure out what life is all about and you want to look up at your parents and, and know that they love you. But there comes a point in your life when if you have too much of that, it distorts reality. And that's why scripture says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. There are some hard things we need to hear. There are some hard things we need to integrate into our lives as adults. And so you might be wounded at some point in this relationship series that I'm calling baggage. You might find a certain hurt crop up. You might be bruised. But that's because... I'm your friend, and that's because I know God really cares about you, and he wants you to be everything that he created you to be. Let's hear from Jesus about baggage in people's lives. Matthew 23. Now Jesus turned to address his disciples along with the crowd that had gathered with them, and I'm reading again from the message because I like the way Eugene Peterson depicts this this section of the Gospel of Matthew. The religion scholars and Pharisees are competent teachers in God's law. You won't go wrong in following their teachings on Moses, but be careful about following them. So Jesus says, their teaching is right, but you really can't trust them. They talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. They're bringing a lot of baggage with them into people's lives. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, 
embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees, and getting called doctor and reverend. Oops. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher, and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do, which is the biblical principle of you are entirely responsible for your spiritual growth. You can receive instruction. You can receive uh, connection in small groups or in faith in life classes. But at the end of the day, it's up to you to take those things and let God integrate them into your life, into your heart, so that you begin the changes that are needed in your life. No one else should carry that title of the title of father. You have only one father, and he's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There's only one life leader for you, and them, Christ. Do you want to stand out? Then step down. Be a servant. If you puff yourself up, you'll get the wind knocked out of you. But if you're content to simply be yourself, your life will count for plenty. I've had it with you. you you're hopeless, you religion scholars, you Pharisees, frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter and won't let anyone else in either. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You go halfway around the world to make a convert, but once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves. Or as it says in some of the other translations, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. You're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. You say, if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? And what about this piece of trivia? If you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand that God is your witness, that's serious. What ridiculous hair splitting. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make if you make your promise inside or outside a house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present, watching and holding you to account, regardless. You're hopeless, you religion scholars and Pharisees. Frauds. You keep meticulous account books, tithing on every nickel and dime you get. But on the meat of God's law, things like fairness and compassion and commitment, the absolute basics, you carelessly Take it or leave it. Careful bookkeeping is commendable, but the basics are required. Do you have any idea how silly you look writing a life story that's wrong from start to finish, nitpicking over commas and semicolons? And so Jesus takes it into the heart of their baggage. He takes it into the, into the heart of their manipulative ways. And he says, you can't do this. You are not getting away with anything. God knows and understands the games that you are playing with your life. When God describes relationships with people, he is realistic 
about their problems. Isaiah 29, 13. The Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. Hundreds of years before this interaction here between Jesus and the Pharisees, God already knew what was going on with people. Psalm 36, 2. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. They fool themselves. They, they live out that superficial way of faith and life and never get to the depths of faith and life, real faith and real life. Romans 2, 1. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Eugene Peterson turns it this way in the message. Judgmental criticism of others is a well-known way of escaping detection in your own crimes and misdemeanors. But God isn't so easily diverted. He sees right through all such smokescreens and holds you to what you've done. God is realistic about relationships. He knows there's nothing that gets by him. So that's why we need to do a relationship series so we understand the demands of a holy God who wants us to have relationships of integrity with him and with each other and within ourselves. One of the best books I've ever read about relationships is this book called Safe People. Henry Cloud and John Townsend put a wealth of wisdom in this short little book that helps you to understand why some relationships are working, why some relationships are not working, what the potential for change could be in your life, and I would encourage you highly to pick it up and to read it through. On page 20, something very insightful is brought to the fore. One evening, I spoke to a group of Christian college students about dating and relationships. At the close of the talk, I asked, what qualities do you look for in a potential date or mate? The answers went something like this. I want someone spiritual, godly, ambitious, fun to be with, and so on. They replied as I had expected, and that disturbed me, for as a counselor and as a person, I knew that these are not the issues that cause relationships to break apart. When I questioned the audience a bit further, asking them about character and relational issues, they were in the dark. They continued to give me broad religious answers and descriptions of people that had, that had little to do with what the Bible actually says about relationships. People in trouble don't say broad religious issues are the problem. They say things like this. He doesn't listen to me. She is so perfect that she can't understand my struggles. He seems so distant that I feel alone. She always tries to control me. He makes promises but really doesn't follow through. He is condemning and judgmental. She is always angry at me for something I did or didn't do. I tend to be my worst self with him or her. I cannot trust him. And the list could go on. These are the painful complaints that friends and counselors hear from hurting people as they describe their relationships. And he says this, we do not get a lot of training in evaluating character. We tend to look on the outside and not the inside of a person. 
So we choose people based on the outward appearance and then experience the inside of them. We choose people on the outward experience and then experience the inside of them. You see, in the movies, unsafe people are easy to spot. The lighting changes. It usually gets maybe darker. There's some shadows. The music changes. There's a musical cue that says you know, somebody bad's coming into the picture. There's facial expressions. Kind of easy to spot the unsafe people in the movies. Not so easy in real life. While there are many different kinds of unsafe people, they tend to fall under three categories. The abandoners, the critics, and the irresponsibles. Let me tell you about these categories. Abandoners are people who can start a relationship, but they can't finish it. They don't know how to finish it. Most likely, at some point, they were abandoned relationally, and it kind of stuck with them that they just don't know where to go with it. So they may be amiable, they may be fun to be with for a while, you may seem like you're getting to, to know them, but then it's, it's like they, they disappear. It's like they're not really there. It's like you thought that, that they cared, but do they really? And it's, it's like they just go poof, and they go away, and you feel alone, and you feel left behind, and you feel that somebody is, is missing. The abandoners are people who can start a relationship, but they can't finish it. Critics are people who take a parental role with everyone they know. They're mom or dad for everybody. They are judgmental. They speak the truth without love and have no room for grace or forgiveness. I thought we were friends, but you sound a lot like my mother. I thought we were friends, but you, you, you criticized me. I remember my dad would say stuff like that. Irresponsibles are people who don't take care of themselves or others. They don't consider the consequences of their actions they don't follow through on commitments. They're like grown-up children. If you're drawn to irresponsible people, you may be doing the following. You pick up after them. You apologize to others for them. You make excuses for them. You give them chance after chance after chance. You pay for their sins and forgetfulness. You nag them. You resent them. Abandoners, critics, irresponsibles. These are unsafe people. These are people that you might not see this on the outside, but then you experience it when you get to the inside. Now, let me, let me do a little parentheses right here. All of us have moments when maybe we abandon something or we're not relationally present. All of us have moments when we're, we can be a little too critical of things or people or relationships. And all of us sometimes are, are a little bit irresponsible in this area or that area. What I'm talking about here are, are these sweeping patterns. This is the entire experience of this person. This is, this, this is how, how it happens every single day, all the time, season after season after season. And the real difference is this. The real difference is if you are an unsafe person, you don't see a need for change, you don't want to change. It really is just who you are. And you just live in that. If you are a person who really wants to be who God wants you to be, and you really want to be better, and you want to be more of, of the spiritual 
person that God has, has gifted you to be with your spiritual gifts. And you want to you have better moments of love and grace and hope in your life. You have that desire. You, you know your baggage. You feel your baggage. And you ask God to help you with it. It's kind of like Paul in Romans chapter 7, where he's overwhelmed with his baggage. And he knows that, that his baggage is going to bring him down. And yet he, he turns to God in the end. He turns to Christ because he knows that's where his, his focus is. That's where his future is. So if you, if you live in that tension of, I want to be better, I want to I grow in every single way to be who God wants you to be, don't feel like you're an unsafe person. You might be a person with some unsafe tendencies that you can work on. Unsafe people, this is the whole way that they, that they live. Let me tell you the, the interpersonal traits of unsafe and safe people. Unsafe people avoid closeness instead of connecting. They are I rather than we people. They are always I. Me, me, me. I, I, I. It's all about me and what I want. It's all about me and what I see. Everything's got to focus on me. Safe people are empathic, and they act on their empathy. Empathy is getting inside another person's head to understand what he or she feels, believes, and thinks at levels below social politeness. And here's, here's the trick. That takes time. And one of the greatest criticisms of our culture in these days, we've, we've come through 20, 30 years of, of technological innovation and, and sweeping technological change but one of the big criticisms of our current generation is that you know, we do things fast technologically. We text, we email, we get things done. Zap, bam, boom, it's out there, it's done. But then there's no real knowing, there's no real connecting, there's no real depth of human understanding because that takes time. To have a conversation with somebody takes time time. It can take an hour to have a cup of coffee to sit down and to converse and, and to look into someone's eyes. It can take time to build a, a relational integrity pathway with someone. And so we have to be careful in these sophisticated technological days that we don't abandon the time that it takes to be empathetic in relationship with each other. Look at your schedule. Look at my schedule. Where is there room for us to sit down and to have these moments where we just talk, where we just spend some quality expanse of time with each other? Here's what unsafe living looks like, and this is where you don't want to get stuck. Unsafe living looks like merger wishes. I want to merge with you. This is not doing the work to be you is seeing what you want to be in somebody else, and it's probably not even there, really, and, and, and you want to merge into that person's life, and, and then you feel like now that is you because you've merged. It's not you. Merging is not a relationship. Fear of confront, confrontation. Henry Cloud calls this living like a farm with no fences. Imagine a farm with no fences. What, what good is that? Everybody escapes. The animals go down the road. Everything is just up for grabs. People can come and do whatever they want. Fear of confrontation is you never tell anybody 
what you need, or you never tell anybody, stop doing that. Stop saying that. Do you understand what that does to our relational life? You can't be afraid to confront because in confrontation, there's a hope of restoration. There's a hope of sanctification. There's a hope of something good coming out of it. Romanticizing. This is whitewashing reality. It says in Proverbs 31, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. What does it say right after that? But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. It says there's two sides of the equation. It's not that it's not right to take care of yourself. It's that if that's all you do is put yourself out there on a superficial level, whether a man or a woman, it's just it's living at a level of mediocrity. It's the lowest common denominator. To understand that, that what Paul was writing about in Philippians 3, that's real life this driving, this passionate driving towards a future which is you accomplishing God's will, him working in you and through you, that has to be the baseline. That's why we come together to do things like this. That's why the church is the the hope of the world because we're, we're trying to bring the right message and the right action. The need to rescue, picking partners who need help, Seeking and nurturing rescue connections instead of equal adult-to-adult connections. If, you, if you, all you do is rescue and rescue and rescue, you never really have a relationship. It's a very unsafe way to live. You want to do that with kids. We're always, when we're with Leela, she's two years old, everybody's always looking for Leela to make sure she's okay because that's what you do with a two-year-old. But you don't do that with a 42-year-old and you don't do that with a 50 two-year-old, and if that's what you need to do, it's not safe living. You can be stuck in that. Victim roles, choosing not to have power and experiencing negative emotions and results. Everybody takes advantage of me. Everybody takes what they want from me. Maybe you need to stop that. Maybe you need to understand that your yes has to be yes and your no has to be no, and that boundaries are a safer way to live. Repetition. This is where a lot of us get stuck, playing out family roles that keep you from finding what real connection is. We spent so many hours, so many hours growing up and and seeing life played out inside of four walls between uh, a mother and a father most of the time, sometimes between an aunt and an uncle or or significant adult caretakers. But we watch the way of thinking and we watch the way of living and we watch the way of having attitudes. And some of those were really good and right, and some of those were really wrong and destructive. And if all we do is repeat those patterns, we miss the, the change that God wants to bring into our lives. It says in Hebrews 5.14, but solid food is for the mature, there's that word again, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil, who because of practice, that word in the New Testament has a a sense of, of the word echo in it. To those who hear the echo, to those who pay attention to what keeps coming back, they start to figure out what is right and good and what isn't. They match that up to what God's word is and what God is saying, and suddenly you start to move from what is is unproductive living to productive living. 
you get unstuck and you start to be free. Safe living is juxtaposed up against unsafe living in this way. There are three words, dwelling, grace, and truth. Wherever there is dwelling, wherever there is a a safety of environment, emotionally and physically, wherever there's, there's a safe place to just be and be you, where there is grace, where there's an opportunity to, to be forgiven, where there's an opportunity to receive another chance, where there is truth, where everything is based upon what is really true, not on just a bunch of opinions. And all these words, dwelling grace and truth, are anchored in John 1.14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. When Jesus is with us, we are safe. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, full of grace, forgiveness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions, many rooms. Someday I'm going to come and take you there. You're going to be safe because you're with me. Dwell in grace and truth. Always override and trump unsafe living, merger wishes, fear of confrontation, romanticizing, need to rescue victim roles and repetition. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. On page 44 of the book, Henry Cloud says, when we asked people to describe a safe person to us, they gave us these descriptions. A person who accepts me just like I am. A person who loves me no matter how I am being or what I do. A person whose influence develops my ability to love and be responsible. Someone who creates love and good works within me. Someone who gives me an opportunity to grow. Someone who increases love within me. Someone I can be myself around. Someone who allows me to be on the outside what I am on the inside. Someone who helps me to deny myself for others and God. Someone who allows me to become the me that God intended. Someone who helps me become the me God sees in me. Someone whose life touches mine and leaves me better for it. Someone who touches my life and draws me closer to who God created me to be. Someone who helps me to be like Christ. Someone who helps me to love others more. I'm reminded of Paul's words in Philippians 3. I put them this way. I do not think logically about how my life adds up on the positive side of things. How, I lived, how I've lived my life as a good person with good motives and actions, having received the recognition of the world. I just do one thing right, disregarding everything I've ever done, forgetting what happened in the past. I stretch and strain with all my might toward a future horizon, a goal of doing God's will in Christ, which Christ is constantly calling me to do. That is the only prize I strive for. This is the meaning of my life. The holy awareness, this holy awareness drives me into each day I'm alive. Meet me at emotional baggage claim. So much of our lives, we end up in a place where we go, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. How do I get unstuck? And God says, 
There's one prize. There's one goal line. Let me take you there. I can't promise you that every week there will be a letter because to tell you the truth, I don't always know if they're coming, if they're not coming. Last night, I would have bet you anything there wasn't a letter. And then, whoosh, it showed up so fast. And it was for you. Dear friends, you are only safe when two things are intertwined. When you are wholly dependent on me and when you are humble enough to look at your unstable patterns and make changes. This is the hard work of life. Your life's patterns came from growing up in a broken world with broken ideas of relationships in family, church, and school. Everyone you ever knew was flawed. This is the dilemma of life. It is the story of individuals and families and nations. Flawed people produce flawed people. Yet that is where my work begins. I will meet you in your damaged places of emotion and belief, and I will begin to reshape your mind and heart. I will teach you about my spirit. You will learn from a holy teacher what is true and what lasts forever. Yes, you will kick and buck and do all manner of behaviors to resist. Your rodeo will be quite the show. But I have all the time in the world to calm you down. You can trust my love. You can trust my grace. You can even trust my hand of discipline because you can trust me. So stop running away from the truth. Allow grace to press you toward the goal. Open your heart to deeper places of my healing touch. Be prepared to feel the heat required to purge the dross. Be ready to release your death grip on what never really satisfies. Walk out of the dead end street into the light. Remember how the cross is a finale and a beginning. It is the end of your sin being a prison of ruin. It is the beginning of undertaking everything I've called you, I've called you to for living the demands of maturity. Yes, you will always struggle until I bring you home, but every day is a choice of what love can transform. That is your hope. Your hope rests in what love can do today when a thread of faith and a strand of humility are woven together by my hands, my hands that stretched out for you long ago, my hands that will never let you go, holding you always, Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, in the tension of relationships, we live out our lives and we we strive for and we look for the integrity that, that could only come when we give everything in our lives to you. So Father, help us to, to learn what we need to learn today. Help us to do what we must do. Help us to be focused. Help us to be intent upon fulfilling your will in and through us individually, individually and together as your church. Father, let us leave the baggage behind. Let us press on toward the goal. We give you our lives again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to take it a step further, you're going to answer some big baggage claim questions this week. We'll put these up on the website so you can get them there. 
where am I unsafe in our relationship? On a scale of one to 10, where am I on empathy? How can I better support your spiritual growth? Where am I a blessing in your life? If you could change one thing about our life in 2015, what would that look like? And you could use these questions in a friendship, you can use these questions in a, in a marriage, you can use these questions between a parent and a child. And Henry Cloud always says, these are two of the biggest questions of all. What do I do that pushes you away from me? What do I do that draws you toward me? Ask yourself these questions, and you'll find that there's a future and a hope. Thanks for being here today. God bless you. See you next Sunday.